0: You're listening to GDA podcast powered by GDA speakers now available on iTunes and all other podcast platforms with new episodes every Monday, Wednesday and Friday gda podcast showcases insightful conversations from the best thought leaders educators policy experts motivators and storytellers on the keynote speaking circuit today want today's guest at your next event call gda speakers at 214-420-1999 or visit gdaspeakers.com and now here's this episode of gda podcast with hosts scale and kyle davis enjoy
1: You may have seen him on the Today Show, Fox News, CNN, featured on CNBC's The Millionaire Inside, or as the star of his own show, Big Spender, or in commercials. Maybe you've read one of his six New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestsellers, or maybe you don't have a clue who he is. But regardless, brace yourselves. Today's guest on GDA Podcast
2: is Larry Wingett. Welcome, Larry. Hey, Larry.
1: Hey, thanks for
3: having me. I appreciate it.
2: So um I know that we were just talking kind of like a moment ago as to to what the background story was because I was kind of unfamiliar, but um you know I, I think unless someone's been an ostrich and you know kind of having their head in the sand, if you can uh, kind of give them your background as to to how you kind of got to where you are today.
3: Well, hard work got me where I am today, but I can <laughs> tell you. <laughs> Yeah, that's what everybody seems to miss. You work your butt off, and then suddenly you're famous. Um, but I grew up dirt poor in Muskogee, Oklahoma. Um, really, dirt poor. My mom and dad uh, didn't have any money and uh, worked retail, and we owned a chicken farm. And and uh, I went to school one day, and a kid made fun of me for only having one pair of jeans, and they had a rip in their pocket. And I made a decision right at that moment. I was going to do whatever it took. Nobody would ever could make fun of me again for being broke and for being poor. So I really did, at that moment, started working my butt off in order to be successful. And eventually that got me through college and I worked for Southwestern Bell and AT&T. I was the first male telephone operator in Oklahoma for Southwestern Bell. I left as the area sales manager for AT&T for the state of Kansas with the vestiture. went into speaking Uh, Eventually, after owning my own telecommunications company for a time, went into speaking, started as a sales trainer, found out people thought I was funny, found out to pay more to make people laugh than to teach them how to sell, and I became a motivational humorist for about 10 years until I uh, discovered that I didn't much believe any of that motivational stuff and I became the world's only irritational speaker and the pit bull of personal development, telling people the cold, hard, ugly truth about what it takes to be successful. And that's when I got rich and famous.
2: So being an Okie from Muskogee, I mean, <laughs> yep. I mean, I don't know. My mom's from Altus, Oklahoma, that's over right. there in the southwest corner.
1: Boomer Sooner. Yeah.
2: Oh. <laughs> Wait, well, now we have to clarify. Larry, are you a Sooner fan, or are we... Uh,
3: You know, I am a Sooner fan, but I could also watch the Cowboys. It doesn't bother me, so I like OSU and OU. I really don't care. As long as it's from Oklahoma, it's okay by me.
2: There you go. Cool. So – You mentioned like you kind of went into this, you know, irritational speaker and you started telling people the whole card, uh, you know, the whole cold hard truth. There we go. Finally. Um, What was it like when you made that pivot and and what did people, you know, start to see from you and and what changes were they beginning to make in themselves?
3: You know, here's sort of my analysis of the speaking industry in general. Mm -hmm. People don't listen to what you have to say and most don't believe what you have to say, Mm -hmm. but they always listen to see if you believe what you have to say. I believe that what people want more than any other thing is authenticity. And whether anybody likes me or not, that's their business. I really don't care. I want them to be able to walk away and say, that guy's a real deal. And so I went on stages to be the real deal. And I told people what I thought. And I told them that it's back to hard work and and a positive attitude won't make you successful. That stuff is fine if that's what you want to be. And you don't have to love your job. You have to do your job. And you have to bring value every single day to your customers and your clients and so forth. I got back to those old-fashioned, it seems, and it's a shame that it's considered old-fashioned. But I got to those, back to those kind of things and told people to get their feet out of the sky and plant them firmly on the dirt and go to work and people believed me, and they wanted to hear that, and they saw the authenticity based on my background and what I believed, and they paid attention, and they started doing it. I believe people are broke because they want to be. That was one of my books. You know, you don't. nobody makes you spend that much money, and I believe that people are idiots, and I can prove it, and that was a book. And uh, I reminded people of all the stupid things we do every single day to screw up our lives and our businesses. And we don't need to blame people. We need to take responsibility and go back to work and fix this stuff. And they liked it.
1: (laughs) I love the titles of your books. I wrote them down before we started to record Grow a Pair, Shut Up, Stop Whining, Get a Life, You're Broke Because You Want to Be. It's called Work for a Reason. People are idiots, and I can prove it, and your kids are your own fault.
3: <laughs> uh, you know, that pretty much says it right there, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: it does. You kind of don't
3: even have to need to read the books there. You can just read titles and go, I think I know what he believes.
1: Exactly. And I think you have a new book coming out. Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Sure, Ken. The new book's called What's Wrong with Damn Near Everything? How the Collapse of Core Values is Destroying Us and How to Fix It. You know, I believe I I write all my books based on what ticks me off at the time. It started with shut up, stop pointing, get a life when I took on the self-help industry and the personal development movement and and sort of started uh, sacrificing all those sacred cows of motivation. And then I looked around and said, you know, people are blaming the government because they're broke and they're blaming the housing industry and banks and credit card companies. Maybe they just shouldn't spend so much. And so I wrote that book. And then I looked around and said, I can fix the whole world right now if we just parent our kids better. So I wrote, your kids are your own fault. And so I look at what ticks me off and I write a book about it. What's ticked me off recently was the fact that I think society is in the shape that it's in right now because of the collapse of core values. We've lost things like honesty and integrity and treating people right and being nice and a work ethic. And if we got back to those things, we could fix things. You know, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, it's not because they're in a hurry. It's because they don't respect you enough to allow you to keep going. When people give you bad customer service, that's a lack of respect. When they don't deliver on what they said they would do, don't do what they said they would do, that's dishonesty. And so those core values are what we have to embrace again. And we can fix politics and business and parenting and uh how you pay your bills and everything so we need to get back to core values
2: when when you like shine a light on something that for a lot of people it, it's so Painfully obvious as to these are the things that we need, but we totally forget to to implement them. And you're telling people just the honest to god truth, shaking them by the shoulder, saying, "Hey, for once in your life, maybe you should probably be a little bit more honest and just own everything about it." Um, You know, it's something that ticks me off, and I'm just wondering, you know, what's the response that you're getting? I mean, obviously the book hasn't come out yet, but you know, what's the feedback that you're starting to hear from uh, from your listeners and your audience and everything else?
3: Well, my audience likes what I have to say. That's why they're my audience. But (laughs) fair. (laughs) Really. That's why I have have a pretty dedicated following and fan base on social media. People like what I have to say or they wouldn't hire me. The way I look at it, they wouldn't listen to me. There are lots of options out there. And so the the people who follow me like my approach. But I've been saying this sort of stuff from the stage for years now. And obviously, people want to hear it. It's sort of this uh, voice that harkens back to the old days, that That I tell people, you know, if you're not doing well, why don't you treat your customers right? Why don't you keep your word? Why don't you go to your employees and say, this is what we value and this is what we expect. And there are consequences for not doing that. And people seem to like that. It's how most folks were raised, but we lost that along the way. And uh, so people enjoy my message. I will say that. And if they don't, please go somewhere else. There are lots of people out there who'll hold your hand and sing "Kumbaya." I'm just not the guy.
2: What What do you think was like lost like in the corporate world? I mean, I, you have to understand that my background is coming from startups. So this whole um, recent trend in startups have you know we're going to be. Beyond honest, we're going to be hyper transparent, and we're going to be uh, super nice to our customers. We're going to hold their hand all the way through the process, and really build and add value throughout the you know customer acquisition process to to onboarding, to offboarding, and everything in between. But what is it about you know maybe more legacy companies that have totally forgot you know what it is to provide uh, upstanding customer service or you know honesty about when uh, maybe the power will be back on because the power line's down or, or something as simple as that.
3: Have you dealt with any of these companies that you say these entrepreneurs that hold that as their values? Because I'm not seeing it when I do business with them. I think that's jargon that every business talks about, whether they're a startup or whether they're what you call a legacy company. I think from the brand new solopreneur to the biggest corporations, we talk a good game. And when it comes down to it, we don't deliver a good game. And so I think we have to get back to really understanding that all it's an old Earl Nightingale line. All the money you're going to have is currently in the hands of someone else. And when we understand that and we start to value the customer at that level, but until then, I think most companies, regardless of their size, are pretty much just talking a good game but not delivering a good game.
2: No, I'd agree with that. I think there's – I mean my experience from startups, and I probably will have to be, say, very lucky, is that I've been with like the legit people who – do what they say they're going to do but i've also been with a couple companies where they told me one thing and when i showed up on day one it was a completely other situation and needless to say that relationship didn't last very long before i went elsewhere so, Yeah, i mean it, it, it happens and it's it's terrible when it happens to employees but it's more you know terrible when it happens to you know customers and everything else because it's just a uh it's a cancer on society and in business
3: Yeah, I see. I think we've complicated everything way too much. And, you know, I do have a high duh factor in everything that I talk about and everything that I write and say from the stage. I really believe it all comes down to one thing. I call it my number one rule for success in life and business. And that's do what you said you would do when you said you would do it the way you said you would do it. Period. That's it right there. Just do what you said you would do when you said you would do it the way you said you would do it. That's all anybody wants from you. That's all a customer wants from you. That's all your kids want from you. That's all you want from your spouse. We want people to do exactly what they said they would do when they said they would do it the way they said they would do it. That's running your life and your business and your family based on honesty and integrity. That's uh, everything that I believe that we could do to fix society is contained in that one little set of words right there.
1: Well, I definitely wrote that down. I love that. You know, to say that you stand out in a crowd, Larry, is a little bit of an understatement. Uh, can we talk a little bit about your fashion sense? And uh, I, I mean, I know that I'd like to know, like. Like, uh, Gail, whatever
3: do you mean? <laughs>
1: Well, if you're out there listening and you've never taken a look at Larry's style, you definitely have to Google it. But I'm talking the earring, the, the shirts. I mean, certainly that is not how you learned to dress when you were working for AT&T, let's say. So where did that, how did that all come about? Is it more of you being the real deal?
3: It is more me re- being the real deal. By the way, I took the earrings out.
2: Oh, you did? So,
3: okay. okay. Yeah, I did take the earrings out. You know when your uh, son, who is a fashion designer, very successful fashion designer, comes to you and says, Hey, Dad, it's time. <laughs> <laughs> I've been wearing them for over 20 years. I finally took them out. But I still wear all the rest of the stuff. Here's how all of that came about. When I was a little bitty boy growing up in Muskogee, Oklahoma, broke. I used to sit with my grandmother on Saturday afternoons and watch Porter Wagner. Gail, do you remember Porter I Wagner? I
1: do, and I remember Saturday. I know exactly what Yeah, you were
3: he was about. always wore those great jackets with all the embroidery and all the sequins and rhinestones all over them. Fringe. And growing up dirt poor in Oklahoma, I used to watch that and tell my granny, I said, I bet that's how rich people dress. And I told myself at probably five or six years old, if I ever get rich, I'm going to dress like that. Well, after a long time, I figured out one day I was and I could. So I started. (laughs) So that's how I used to not dress on stage. And then I just kind of said, oh, to hell with it. I'm going to dress the way I want to. And I got known for dressing that way because of my show on A&E, Big Spender, and I mean, that that allows you to stand out. When you're on TV, that's sort of the, the big gorilla right there. And people started recognizing that. And then I had meeting planners and so forth saying, we want you to wear what we see you in when you're on TV. So I started dressing like that on the stage. And it does allow me not to look like everybody else. But I've always stood out in a crowd. That was always part of the goal. That's part of the brand is you can't look like everybody else.
1: Do you still have the crazy glasses that are all different frames and colors
3: now see you're taking me way back that's what i used <laughs> to do way back and then uh no i gave those up and got okay. lasik and i had to have something so that's when i pull okay. i have 115 pairs of cowboy boots so i pull those out and i wear those <laughs>
2: <laughs> man now i'm really feeling like as a texan i'm i'm you're I'm, slipping I'm there. Slipping a little bit with my two. Yeah, there you go. Maybe you could go buy some more Lou Casey's <laughs> or something like that. If they're listening, please send me some.
1: I, I just love the the honest simplicity of your message. And I I know I have one client who used you several years ago and every year she's like, Do you have another Larry Winget? And I'm like, Nope. They broke the mold on that one.
3: <laughs> and you know, Gail, shouldn't that be what everybody strives for? We we work in an industry that of more me twos. And uh, my goal was ever to be just what you said. There isn't another Larry Winkett. Luckily, I got more than one speech. I can go back, but there's nobody else out there who does this, which is kind of a darn shame, in my opinion, that we've gotten to the point that we value honesty and directness uh, to the to the point it almost doesn't exist in our business or any other. Folks who'll just tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. And my my whole you you've known me a long time. My deal is if. If people don't want the truth don't hire me please. I you know I'm going to say what I say and and it's always meant uh to to help people do better and be better and it's always around my motive of allowing you to offer better service to others and get back to your core values and and do good work and so forth and and I understand my style is not right for everybody but it's right for me and there's enough people out there that agree with me that it mm-hmm. keeps both of us happy.
2: And I think that's kind of like the like the important thing now when you're when you're going in I mean we I know we hit the core values honesty integrity being nice having respect for individuals but what can companies do um, maybe to reflect on the processes that they have in place that can change those uh, different core values um, you know to, towards a more uh, I don't know better direction if you will
3: Well, you know, I I think that the fastest way to understand whether you're living your core values, everybody puts those core values in their mission statements and so forth, which turn out to be pretty much hogwash. Uh, And they turn out to be hogwash when times get tough. It's easy to live your core values when everything's going your way. And companies uh, always keep their word when things are going their way and when you know, the the product is good and their employees are doing well and when the customer pays on time, but when things get tough and you get under pressure, it's like that old saying, you know, if you put pressure on an orange, what comes out is orange juice. That's what comes out. And so the, the real you comes out when you're under pressure. You put a business under pressure and then how do you respond? How do you react? What do you do? What happens to your service? What happens to your core values then? So a, a business has to look at how they handle crisis and how they handle pressure and look at, at at themselves then and say, am I really being honest? Am I adding value? Am I showing respect? Because it's easy to do the right things when everything's, are, everything's going well. So what I like to, to remind companies of is how do you act when things aren't going well and do some assessment there? When the customer's being a jerk, how do you act? When your employees are not giving you uh, g- good work, and you know that your you're, some of your employees, and just look at the stats on employees. You know, t- t- some of the stats say that customers, I mean, uh, employees that have a computer at their desk uh, spend two hours a day on personal stuff. Well, you know, that's stealing. So how does a company react when they see a company stealing from them 25% of the time? How do you act then? Is honesty really important to you? Mm -hmm. Because if it is, you'll fire them.
2: Yeah. I actually had a, here's a funny thing. I used to own a business back in 2009. It was a great year to own a business. Um, and so anyways, I I had this business and I had, uh, this, this recruiting, uh, person that was working for me and, you know, people were supposed to call in. She was supposed to get them scheduled for an interview and, you know, it was a high volume kind of, of job on her end, but I kept finding her like on Craigslist looking for a boyfriend at the time. And I was like, you yeah, I, I know it. what
3: kind of friend you find on Craigslist. <laughs> I know, exactly.
2: I'm like, uh, you know, this is a little sketch. And like, you, you know how like when you see a link, it's blue. If you haven't clicked on it, it's purple if you have. Well, I mean, there was just page after page of purple, purple, purple. And I just basically took my like guesstimator and I said 30 seconds per click. And then I multiplied it and I said, this is how much time you owe me. I mean, I paid you for this and you're doing that. Like, what do you, I mean, this is not like a laptop that someone was able to take home. This was a desktop computer. <laughs> you owe me for that time because you were you were two minutes in before you had to start and you were out the door a minute later at the end of shift. So, I mean, come on now. Yeah, and
3: see what what's happening in, in the workplace right now is is we've allowed that to happen. And I think consequences drive behavior. To the point, I've made this argument to lots of people, and I've had employees argue with me that their company owes them that. Really? If it's not on your job description, then you don't get to do it, I don't think. And you're right. When someone does that, as you pointed out, she owes that to you because she was stealing that time from you that you were paying her for. Mm-hmm. But see, that kind of direct conversation, we we kind of lack that right now in society. And that's if there's one thing I do is that I call it like it is because that's stealing.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it, and it was. And, and she definitely uh, Paid me for that. (laughs) Uh, So
3: good for you. Yeah.
2: I just, I mean, I was broke. I mean, I was uh, (laughs) uh, running a business and I was broke. I I mean, like, it's either look, you pay me back for that time or you're working for free for the next two weeks or or however long the math was on that. But, But, you know,
3: but here's the deal we we have companies with lots of employees Mm -hmm. and Let's say you had five employees and she was the only one doing that. If you don't take corrective steps, then your other employees see that and automatically judge you as a bad leader, lousy manager. And if you didn't fix it, you would have been a bad leader and a lousy manager. And so that kind of thing in our businesses must be addressed. Consequences must be imposed because that is, as you just said, it's a cancer that eats away at the whole company and sacrifices the one area of our business that we can't afford. And that would be the quality of service that we deliver to our customers.
2: When when you start to see this this quality uh, of service that you're providing and these core values that make up a culture and how managers interact with it, you know, let's say it was a, a weaker manager than I, if I can pat myself on the back, who who saw it but did nothing. You know, what is that about? Is that the manager just wanting the employee to like them and and not realizing that they're costing their their employer money? I mean, what what is it?
3: Oh, I think it goes back to a lot of things. When, when you look at society as a whole, we don't want to say anything that could possibly offend anyone. Uh, because somebody might, one, get their feelings hurt, and then they would judge us as mean. Uh, I, I've heard somebody the other day, as I walked past them at a group of speakers, say, that's Larry Wingate, he's really mean. And I stopped and turned around and said, why is me being honest? And telling my truth and talking about core values and doing the right thing and spending less than than you earn and t- raising your kids right and you know doing an honest day's work for an honest day pay. Why has that become mean? Why? And they just looked at me with great big eyes. But see, that's where we are in society. Saying anything to anyone that might possibly hurt their feelings is considered mean. And you don't want to be called mean. I don't want to be called mean. So we won't correct people for that reason. The other thing is there's no consequences for the manager, probably. He has a boss, too, who's also not paying attention. Mm -hmm. And so consequences will drive behavior. If there's no downside, people will do whatever they can get by with. There has to be a downside, there has to be a consequence, and there has to be open communication about that. And I think the other thing is that people don't understand that their behavior, their actions, her spending all her time on her computer, on Craigslist and so forth, actually does have an impact on the customer and the bottom line of the business. And I believe where we fail as businesses is to sit everybody down from the CEO to the janitor and show them how their job contributes to the bottom line that keeps us all paid and keeps customers coming in.
2: So when you're... When you're like maybe coaching a manager or or coaching somebody to have these honest conversations that uh, others might deem as quote mean end quote, Um, (laughs) you know what I mean? What I mean, I mean, there's definitely a way that I could have handled, let's say, that conversation, uh, you know, with the Craigslist. It could have been like, wow, that must be really sorry. You can't get a date. You're having to try to find a guy online. That's kind of pathetic. And I could have like really ripped into it. But, I I mean, that's not how I handled it. I just was like, hey, look, I don't care what you do on your own free time, but this is my time that I'm paying you for. And it was a very different conversation. So to your point, you know, I I don't think saying that is mean. I just think it's telling the truth and and saying, hey, you owe me for what it was. And so how do you uh, tell somebody, hey, look, what you're going to say is not mean. It's the truth. And you need to hear the truth because the truth will set you free. Free.
3: (laughs) Well, there's an old Werner Erhard line, the, the founder of Est, who said the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off.
2: <laughs> Won't it?
3: Jeez. Man. And, uh, you know, that's true. And we don't want to hear the truth. One, because, you know, I'm going to go back to what you just said about, about dealing with folks telling them the truth. We are, have become so overly sensitive mm-hmm. uh, and, and so looking to be offended by things that we are searching to get our feelings hurt. And so we get our feelings hurt even when something was said to us that wasn't particularly hurtful. And, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, it's not that other people are so offensive, it's that we become so overly uh, sensitive to being offended. And we got to get past that. If I was talking to that manager you were talking about, I would just say, I would coach them to, when they're talking to their employees, to do it from a profitability and it's the profitability of the company that keeps you paid. And I know you want to get paid, don't you? So let me show you how this cost us all money. And it cost me my reputation with my other employees if I don't address that with you. And frankly, my reputation with my other employees has great value to me. So we're going to talk about this. Mm
1: -hmm. I love that. I know that over the years I've been at times a little adverse to confrontation, but it took me a while to realize I wouldn't do myself any favors with all my great employees because yep. that avoiding, it just wasn't working. So, um, I think that's really a key point.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, I've always believed that firing is something you do for somebody, not to somebody. Mm-hmm. You're right. And it's, it's to release people so they can go to a place where their skill levels match the expectations of the next company. And I've just, when I've had to do it in the past, uh, I've just said, look, I understand what your skill levels are, and they frankly don't match the level of the job that I have you in right now. So I suggest you go find a job someplace else where your skill levels match the expectations of the job.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've always found, and, and, and to to wrap a pretty little bow on this, I always found it easier when I was managing that if I had somebody who had a similar background to me, I'm not saying, you know, all white males who played football in college, <laughs> but more but more somebody who, you know, had, had played sports, they understand that the team environment, and they understand that uh, they have a role to play, and it's easier to kind of like pull at that and say, hey, look, you know, you're not pulling your weight, or, you know, you, you went one way and we all went the other, you know what's kind of going on versus, you know, kind of like you said, the society that we have where you know, you know God forbid you play a sport where there's contact or, or, you know, something like that and somebody gets a little irritated at you and you can't handle it just a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, I find it easier to do that. But, you know, telling somebody the truth can be kind of difficult. If they can't well, when we
3: it. live in a in a world right now where we're doing away with recess and games like Tag and Red Rover and all of those things because someone might get scratched that's not going to help you in the future. I think uh, I think uh, contact sports are on their way out.
2: <laughs> well, you know, maybe one day we we'll just tell everybody to go rub some dirt on it, and somebody might get tetanus, and we'll just go from on from there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> when the fastest-growing sport among young children is yoga. Is it really? No, seriously. I just did a news story about this on the news, and I said, by the way, why don't we call it a sport? Nobody's keeping score. Yeah
2: kind of like when I play golf.
3: Yeah, me too. I decide what my score is before I go play golf.
2: That's that's right. I'm like Kim Jong-un. I I golf an 18 every time I go. (laughs) All, all, All in ones.
1: Well, Larry, I am excited about your new book. I am so excited that, you know, you're a part of our world. I think your honesty, it just it just speaks with, it's such, it's just oozes with integrity. And I love the fact that you are such the real deal. It's just mm-hmm. been a delight having you on here today
3: to visit. I appreciate that, Gail. I really do. That's for me, that's the ultimate compli- compliment, what you just said about oozing. I don't like the word oozing very much. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I kind of conjures of up a
3: different picture, but what you said about uh, being in integrity—I can't imagine a higher compliment. I really appreciate that you said that about me. I do.
2: And again, the the name of the new book is uh, what? It's what's wrong with what's da- wrong
3: with damn near everything.
2: Well, there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that just sign me up. Yeah.
3: <laughs> you would think it would be a thousand pages long, but it's only like hundred and thirty. So there Well,
1: there you go. Can remind us when that's coming out. July the tenth.
2: So Perfect. July the 10th, What's Wrong with Damn Near Everything from Larry Winkett. All okay, right, cool. Well, hey, Larry, uh, thanks again for helping us out and doing the podcast. If uh, the listeners here would like to have Larry come and speak uh, for them, they can do so by contacting GDA Speakers at 214-420-1999. And my mom's making fun of me because I'm writing it out in the sky so I can remember <laughs> how to do <laughs> the phone number. The website's gdaspeakers.com. For the transcript, podcast, books, uh, episodes, everything else, go to GDA Podcast. Dot .com Larry thank you
3: Thank you Larry I appreciate it thank you
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of GDA Podcast, powered by GDA Speakers. If you're interested in booking today's guest, visit GDA Speakers at gdaspeakers.com or call 214-420-1999. Visit Podcast.com and subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date and be informed of new episodes, blog posts and more. Be sure to follow GDA Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at GDA Podcast, as well as Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. Thanks again and stay tuned tuned for more from GDA podcast and GDA speakers